Hello and welcome to The New Navigators. This podcast is a celebration. It's a celebration of some remarkable everyday people who follow their passions while making a positive contribution to the well-being of our world. In times that feel like they're spinning out of control, where we are headed is increasingly unclear. Each of my guests helps to shine a light on how we might navigate these uncertain times each showing us that small contributions make a big difference, and each reminding us that too often, the work we do is not necessarily aligned with the work that needs to be done. My hope is that on hearing these conversations, you will be inspired to take a leap of faith towards your idea of what it means to make a difference. And if you are already in committed service to making this world as beautiful and balanced as it possibly can be, well, please get in touch. I'd love to share your story. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to share this conversation far and wide by clicking the link below. The more people who get inspired, the more inspired our future becomes. So now, on with the show. The challenge of staying healthy in a sick world is something that we all face. This week, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking to Dr. Duncan Still about his life as an educator, a doctor, a forager, and someone who's committed to transforming medical education in the UK through his work with the National Centre for Integrative Medicine. A massive welcome Mm. to you and a thank you to you, Dr. Duncan Still, (laughs) for joining me on the, uh, The New Navigators. Uh, it is so lovely to be here. Isn't it funny that I smile as soon as you call me Dr. Duncan Still? I still struggle to see myself <laughs> in that way. Why is that? I don't know. I think it's because there's a distance. As soon as you become a doctor, you're something other. Yeah. Whereas I see myself just exactly the same as I ever was, like a curious human being. Clear, curious in both meanings. Clearly not a normal human being. Anybody who's a doctor in my books is either, um, well, they're mad in a number of ways. Mm-hmm. Um the just firstly the work that it takes to become a doctor the study the commitment but then also there's something about it the caring instinct the kind of absolute commitment to other people's well-being which i you know if it was normal everyone would be doing it right it's not a normal thing to become a doctor maybe but for me i suppose it's it's not a million miles from who i am you know it's i think it in a way it just makes complete sense that i'm a doctor yeah although if you'd said that a few years before me beginning my training, I would yeah. have thought you were loopy because I had no background in the sciences or, you know. So how, how did you get into being a doctor if you were not into sciences and stuff? Well, I think I was into them. I just had never kind of proved it to myself or anyone else. But I, my mind is naturally that way inclined to inquire and to experiment and to look for answers. But I just, I think I lent towards languages first of all so that was my first love and so that's what I did at university mm. and which I languages tr- so, um French Russian Italian not so, not very much Russian French and Italian mainly wow so which was great um but to be honest I was actually just following in my brother's footsteps I wasn't really doing them because I wanted to do them huh. I, I at that point I was still kind of living to some extent, in his shadow, you know, I admired him hugely and wanted to be like him in every way. And it was only later in life that I realized, actually, I'm really different. Mm. And 
and then I began to kind of make my own in inquiries. And so languages took me to into teaching, and then teaching took me to Bosnia, as mm. I think you know, um, where I worked for five years as why, a, why as a teacher. Te why would teaching take you to Bosnia? Uh, big, well, it just happened to, uh, <laughs> because I suppose, I mean, much of my life, as with everyone else's, I imagine, was not pre-planned. It was just a response to circumstance. So I was at university at the time when the Bosnian, the Balkan wars were kind of raging. So I ended up going to Bosnia on a convoy um, because we'd been raising, kind of doing an aid campaign. I ended up going out to Bosnia, being there on the day that the war ended, which was pretty monumental and very moving and gave me a, a sense of, you know, this is a place I want to be. This is a place where good things need to happen after after many years of terrible things happening. So and I suppose at the end of university, not knowing what I wanted to do, at least I had a direction from that. So I went out there to teach because it was the only thing I could do. Mm. And then ended up staying longer than intended, as is often the way. Mm. Um, but the longer I stayed, the more I realized actually my life is going to be back in the UK. It's not going to be wandering the world teaching. Um, but I also knew that teaching would not give me as much back in the UK as it had done in Bosnia. I think in Bosnia there was a great potential to do a whole host of things, to teach, to manage other people, to do education policy, to um, you know be very creative and, mm. and free in a way that would not have been the case back in the UK. So I needed something else. And initially that was massage therapy because really? I'm that kind of guy. I, I've always you're, loved... You're still famously giving massages. I mean, People so love, your, love your massages. I love my massages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so because I've always I've always liked that connection yeah. with with do you get enough massages people? in return I'm, I'm i'm always thinking about people who give a lot yeah i'm always worried about whether they actually know how to receive and i think it's the same goes for doctors as it is yeah. probably for massage therapists i think that's a really good point and i think uh, i'm constantly learning yeah. i think back in the day i didn't know how to receive but it's something that i'm coming to know and to understand and to appreciate and to kind of invite into my life more but yeah it's something i have to be alert to like yeah. self-care is <coughs> do they teach that to you when you're doing your medicine training not nearly enough and i think that's a a big thing in this kind of new strand of medicine that i'm particularly in, involved in and interested in so-called integrative medicine i think that's a major theme within that is that you know, healer, heal thyself. Mm. Look after yourself so that you can better serve others. And knowing how easy it is, if you're not careful, um, that you'd spend all the time going out of yourself and stepping into the other person's mm. space and into the other person's need. Mm. And if you do that with one foot and you step into their circle and you invite them to step out of their circle, then you're kind of doing a lovely dance. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're not careful, you step with both feet into mm. their circle, their domain of difficulty or, or suffering. And I think therein lies the danger. That's where burnout mm. seems to arise. Mm. So, yeah, so it's a good, good, it's a very good question. And I think within integrative medicine, there is a great emphasis placed on that. There's on a lot the well-being of, of the practitioner. Yeah, on the, on the doctor-patient or the practitioner-patient relationship. Mm. 
and within that a sense of the importance of self-care mm. yeah i was li- recently listening to a i think it was a joe rogan podcast mm. um and there was a guest on there who's famously published a book about sleep right um and he's and has put together all of the research oh matthew walker matthew walker. oh it's a great book yeah. and it's it's both shocking and um affirming to listen to to all of his his research and and what he's discovered about the absolutely essential role of sleep in well-being and what struck out what's what struck out to me the most when hearing him speak was that doctors only get one day of training about sleep in their entire medical i mean is that true (laughs) if you want to start picking apart the medical school curriculum this could be a long conversation (laughs) I mean, God knows, did yeah, we, we covered some stuff on sleep. But part of the problem is we just don't understand enough about sleep, so there isn't very much to teach or, or they or they haven't, you know, invested. But the correlations between certain types of mental disorder and health and sleep and healing and speed of recovery. Huge. So that that research is well understood. Well, it's it's cutting edge stuff. I think it's is only it, now well, I, I think I think so. Okay. I mean I I yeah, I certainly yeah. wasn't taught very much, yeah. but that doesn't mean I don't think it's important. I think I've come to understand mm. how incredibly important it is, and it makes a lot of sense what he's saying, mm. although I, I haven't seen the kind of first-hand research myself. Mm. But it, it, it is undoubtedly a really important area. Mm. I don't know if you know Rangan Chatterjee, who's a, um, a current medic, but he's got quite a high profile in the kind of lifestyle medicine arena. He's got a fantastic book are we allowed to promote other people's oh, work please do. that's the whole point <laughs> great um so he's got a book called um rest eat move sleep well it's called the four pillars i think and mm-hmm. his four pillars are rest eat move sleep and you know i'm glad that sleep is getting the mention getting some, that it does getting some kudos yeah finally how do you sleep annoyingly well yeah i'm a a hit the pillow kind of guy yeah Uh, which i think is good i mean there is there is a kind of shadow side to it Mm. i think part of the reason why i sleep so well is that i'm so phenomenally tired (laughs) absolutely (laughs) some of the time yeah um and so that that begs a few questions but i but i think but i know plenty of people who even when they are very very tired still don't sleep well and i think that's really difficult yeah um so I feel for them, and I it feel it can be a real menace, fortunate. can't it? When you just when you're lying there trying to sleep and nothing you do is working, and you end up having a conversation with your own brain. I mean, you're apparently yes. I, I can't. I can't. Sleep, I can't, can't, oh yeah, you can't, I can't empathize with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, I understand that is the case. No, of course. I mean, it's obviously that would be incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in fact, I can understand. I, I think I prize my sleep so hugely because I function so poorly when I. When don't you, yeah. sleep that's such a rare thing for me I'm, I'm in awe of people who don't sleep and then function yeah i mean parents of small children yeah. number one yeah i i was reading um andrew k's uh book oh no adam k adam k yeah K's yeah book. this is gonna hurt this or is this gonna hurt yeah. <laughs> memoirs of a junior doctor wow have you read it i have yeah and how did that feel? I mean, it, it, <laughs> as someone it, who's been through yeah, that of course, journey, it, it reminded me of the horrors. I mean, there is a certain bravado amongst medics. You know, we got through it. It was awful, but we made it. Yeah. Um, and I imagine that I, 
some of some of the book made me think I wondered whether it was actually true or was this a composite of other people's stories as well as his own so there was a little bit of me being skeptical I suppose uh, but there's definitely truth in it you know that it, it for me I did find it really grueling and, yeah. and people didn't really warn me or else I didn't listen or perhaps it's just one of those things you cannot understand until you go through it yeah that it's really not great I mean it's it's just nuts that we would want some of our most prized human beings in our in our you know in our country who look after us when we're at our weakest pushed to such crazy limits and put in charge of doing operations at three in the morning after having worked for 20 hours yeah and you're like hang on a minute that is just is brutal uh, and i think to be fair and things crazy ha- things have changed so things have changed they're still not great but things have changed yeah. i think 20 30 years ago that was the case that did happen so the stories i've heard from the kind of previous generation of doctors but there was this thing called the european working time directive uh, which is a bit of yeah, <laughs> bureaucracy um which although mm, when it was kind of it was intended to make sure people weren't working excessive yeah. hours and although i think systems and managers kind of played the game and w- when you filled out your hours monitoring mm. you kind of almost had to lie and say you weren't in order to the not then be disciplined for working well otherwise otherwise they would have been i can't remember exactly what the sanctions were were but it it just who gets told off the doctor or, or the, no the, not the well the local it, well it, ultimately it's because it is your responsibility you're meant to yeah. flag that up yeah if it is a problem i mean it wasn't it wasn't so bad but we were definitely working more than we said we were in order to not break the rules in order to not break the rules That's but crazy. but but but, e- but even then things were not as bad as they have been 20 years ago that is for sure so we weren't working you know 48 hour mm. on calls mm. you know if you did an overnight shift you would go home mm. that day. and so from that place from working in hospitals and the kind of foundational years of becoming a you know being a junior doctor how how then what was your journey from that into general practice and then now into integrative medicine Mm. i mean i always knew hospital was not for me hospital is a weird place um massive respect to anyone who works there but it wasn't for me me. so it was always going to be general practice because i kind of saw my role in a little bit of an old-fashioned kind of GP way, I wanted to be someone who was at the heart of a community mm. um, and had relationships, kind of ongoing relationships with families and communities and watching people grow from young people into mm. middle-aged people. Being the family being, doctor. Being there, being the family doctor. Mm. Um, so that's what drew me to it. And yeah it's just a it's a slower style of medicine i think there's something about the urgency and immediacy of hospital stock medicine mm-hmm. <clears throat> that didn't really suit me mm-hmm. um so and then from general practice in, into integrative medicine again is a fairly easy step i think a lot of what we're asked to do in general practice uh is kind of akin to what's what lies at the heart of mm-hmm. integrative medicine anyway which is lifestyle approaches to health Mm -hmm. you know integrative medicine is the intelligent combination of conventional Mm -hmm. healthcare with lifestyle approaches and 
um, holistic approaches to mm. health and combining those things. It's the best of the bunch. Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of why I asked you on onto the show is because I, I you know this 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 show is about new navigators, mm. and and that term for me is really about exploring people who are trying to um, carve new paths um, in what is essentially a crazy time to be a human. Yeah. Um, it's a crazy time in terms of the NHS and all the shrinking of budgets. It's a crazy time in terms of um, multiple um, health crises going on uh, at various different levels, um, obesity, um, uh, paranoia and anxiety and depression. And mm. I mean, the list is pretty scary when you yeah. kind of start to look at the, the lifestyle um, sicknesses, which which seem to be everywhere. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, we've got a complete crisis in the environment. So it's kind of like the perfect storm. So one of the real intentions here for this podcast is to kind of start to um, find people who are trying to carve a new path in their area of specialism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to sort of celebrate some of the green shoots that are going on um, in in that in their special special area. I mean, in a way, there are no new ideas under the sun. But I did come up with the idea of integrative medicine in my own head before I knew it existed. So I suppose mm. in some way I, I did create it in my own imagination. That, and then you discovered Andy Vile. Exactly. So okay. at, at med school, I'd, I'd invented this thing called Holf, <laughs> which is a terrible <laughs> word. It's never going to catch on. I'm so Can glad someone again, else... Just so Holf. <laughs> I don't know how you spell it. I think it might be W-H-O-L-T-H. Right. Holf yeah. be a very good word for hangman because no one would ever <laughs> guess that. Um, but what it what you can guess from the from the word, it, it's all about holistic approaches to health. Mm-hmm. But luckily, um, the word that had been coined a few years earlier in mm-hmm. the states by An- Andrew Andrew Weil Andrew Vile, mm-hmm. um, who by the way you must all look up if you want to know the, who the godfather of integrative medicine is, and mm-hmm. if you want to see some really good resources on it, go to his website. AndrewWeil.com, W-E-I-L. And he was also a guest on Joe Rogan's podcast. Uh, okay, he was, also, he was also a guest here in Bristol. We he invited did. him to, to, to talk um, three years ago. At Watershed, right? Uh, no, that was someone else. He is, spoke at Bristol University. Ah. So, so he had kind of been at the forefront of the integrative medicine movement in the States, which has been up and running for you know, a good 20 years or so. But it is we are behind the curve here in, in the UK, mm-hmm. So yeah, so we have launched a diploma for healthcare professionals to learn about uh, what integrative medicine is and how it can serve them and their patients mm. um, to do what I think is is better medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so we have been in- innovative, I suppose. We've created this course and we now deliver it. And now in its second year. Um, now in its second year and the students are incredibly inspiring. Mm. I mean... It's very sweet. They they say they feel incredibly inspired by us, so it's kind of mutual loving. <laughs> um, but they truly inspire me mm. because they are really taking this idea and flying with it. I, I suppose. Sorry, one of the things I was going to say was I was trying to say that I do not hold hold myself up as an integrative doctor. I am just a very curious GP or curious person. Mm. Um, and I just want to know about this thing that really excites my imagination. This 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 way of combining, um, by no means, you know, throwing out um, conventional medicine, mm-hmm. or wholeheartedly and uncritically incorporating um, other 
approaches kind of mm. more wacky weird things but but intelligently mm. and in a kind of evidence-led kind of way combining the two mm. to to do the best possible medicine mm. i mean you say you're not an integrative doctor i mean you maybe the your role in the nhs doesn't allow for the space for some of the mm. some of the ways of working that you would like but you um you have trained in acupuncture western yeah acupuncture. so I'm, I'm an aspiring integrative medicine you also designed or co-designed a course in integrative medicine which is now its second year so i i, I beg to differ um you know i'm heading high. that i'm heading that way so <laughs> i and on I, that I, journey and of course, of course it's a never-ending journey so yeah of course i've done yeah. western medical acupuncture training um so that gives me some extra tools at my disposal yeah um I've done training in mindfulness, which yeah. is for my own well-being is incredibly important, but it also means I can talk more knowledgeably about it in my consultations. Mm-hmm. I've learned a whole host of things in my work up at Penny Bron, uh, which mm-hmm. is this holistic uh, cancer charity, integrative medicine uh, cancer charity up in just outside Bristol. I've learned an incredible amount from them about mm-hmm. nutrition and different kinds of physical activity mm. and other mind-body practices mm. and breathing techniques. And, you know, mm-hmm. that once you start digging around and networking within this community of in, uh, remarkable people, you do start kind of adding strings to your bow. Mm. So so now, yeah, to some extent... Your practice is covered I, by all those things. My practice is coming alive yeah. Yeah, with those things. Yeah. And it maybe it does look a little bit... Yeah, it probably does look a little bit different to GPs who haven't been exposed to those things. And that, that is my great wish, that I continue to be able to transform my own practice yeah. and to help others transform theirs. That That's one of my life missions, I suppose. Wow, that's a beautiful life mission. <laughs> I mean, we're, it's a, imagining it's right at the beginning of the process, mm. you know, in terms of the course is, is young. Mm-hmm. Um, but from a layman's perspective, it makes common sense that, um, you know, that all... Uh, all people working within the National Health Service um, uh, on a front in a frontline capacity mm. should be practicing in that way. And, I mean, it it doesn't take an expert to realise that lifestyle and how one um, engages with lifestyle is a huge indicator to someone's well-being. So how how do we get to the point where doctors aren't already well, it's social prescribing it's, as a standard it's you know? crazy isn't it especially when you look at nice guidelines which yeah. are the kind of the bedrock of you know guiding our practice you know what should you be doing in this circumstance mm-hmm. with this patient and almost every single nice guideline step one mm. is address lifestyle factors mm-hmm. but my feeling is that because of pressures on time and because there isn't training on what good nutrition looks like on what good physical activity mm-hmm. advice is and what people sleep skip looks and like. what, what sleep exactly <laughs> yeah. how to what advice to give on sleep yeah. people medics healthcare professionals in general tend to skip step mm. 1 and go straight to step 2 which mm. is other interventions like pharmaceutical interventions mm-hmm. surgical interventions and i th- I, d- I don't want to do my colleagues a disservice Mm. Um, I hope I'm not misrepresenting them I'm speaking about myself as Mm. much as anyone Mm -hmm. because I don't think we were given any training in Mm. really useful nutritional advice Mm -hmm. Um, we weren't taught about different kinds of activity what kind of activity levels people should be achieving what particular activities might suit a certain person Mm. with certain needs we certainly weren't taught about sleep uh, 
actually on on the nutrition note mm. i just wanted to big up uh, an incredible organization mm. that has been set up by medical students here in bristol again mm. bristol really cutting edge i feel i mean I, i'm slightly biased but a remarkable bunch um who've set up this thing called nutritank um and these are wow. medical students who feel that it's outrageous that they are not given the tools not taught about nutrition in order to be able to help their patients so they have been lobbying medical schools to get more nutrition into the curriculum and setting up their own events uh, getting in speakers wow. um, you know collating knowledge that can be more widely disseminated and that's mm. now blossomed and it is spread to most medical schools in the uk mm. um wow. yeah which which is we, we, sh we say wow but it should be it should have it been should there be in the first should yeah. be there in the first place i mean um that brings me on to this uh, the importance the sort of rising importance of the biome Mm. There's, there's the diet and then there's the kind of how do we digest mm. um, that's 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 a deep that's a, that's a deep dark dangerous <laughs> but fascinating I mean, subject but it's something that you know it's probably going to take a while before it gets into standard you know tr training yeah but and and there's also cutting edge science at the moment so it's not necessarily well understood or well vetted science yeah so but the value of the health of the gut within health yeah yeah yeah. it certainly looks like there is going to be some very useful research coming out of you know looking into what the micro microbiome gives and we have not really paid attention to it in the, in recent times mm. but the more we understand uh, the more relevant it seems to be not just to gut health but to wider hu mm. human health mental even health. things like mental health which mm. which would have seemed very odd to they say that they say that certain bacteria kind of give you yearning for certain types of foods yeah and, and so stuff it, like that. it looks like certainly in lab models in mm. animal models um you can take the bacteria from an obese mouse for example yeah. uh, and transplant it into the uh, gut of a, a non-obese mouse and because of the change in bacteria in the in the non-obese it makes the mouse, other one it obese makes the other one obese so wow. how that is mediated is is a, is a know, bigger question no it's a bit more complex but it could be that but certainly part of it well exactly it's not such a crazy thing to suggest yeah. that you know these yeah. bacteria have a drive to survive just as we do so they probably have set up you know yeah. I mean, this is postulating theorizing yeah. but you know it's in their interests to, to have keep, to survive their host eat things which pr promote their survival wow fascinating mm. um and have you sent some poo off uh, i have not sent my poo off yet jamie i cannot believe i've because you can lax. get a kit right where you, you can totally get a kit. get a kit you put some poo in a in a little tube and then you can get a massive readout on the kind of variety and number of different bacteria and other organisms not just bacteria of course it's you know, a whole host of other organisms things. that live in your gut the trouble is i mean you, you definitely get that data back what you do with it and how you interpret it is a little bit more complex and yeah. i think people are can be a bit quick to leap on this is this and this is that it's probably a little bit yeah, like sending your genetic um a sample of your saliva yeah. off and then being told that you're 20 percent uh algerian yeah 15 percent irish yeah. so especially with those dna things yeah. you know, these are all on the basis of likelihood yeah they, they can't actually tell you exactly yeah. what's going on but having said that i think there probably is some useful information there it's, mm. it's just how we 
learn about it we need to understand it better before mm. we use it i guess that's just a matter of time as the data sets get exactly, bigger exactly exactly then it'll become more accurate yeah i'm i'm not a specialist at all but there is some fantastic research going out there mm. going on out there um there is a project called gut map my gut uk which i think you can, is a kind of citizen science project you can donate your <coughs> stool sample and yeah. they will give you the readout but it will also contribute to a, a big database which will really help um, scientists make sense of mm. that information mm. Mm. Um, that's really interesting I, I might even send some poo off in the post <laughs> um, I'm interested to know what you know what your your average week looks like I mean, I, so apparently a, you're just an everyday kind of guy so. I'm, I'm not an everyday kind of guy I'm what they call a portfolio GP because right. it's the only way I know how because okay. I could not do it five days a week um, and mm. very few few GPs do because it is so intense mm. so the way I do it is I mix it up with uh, some work at Penny Bron, mm. which is Penny Bron UK this incredible organization that does integrative cancer care so that's sometimes one-to-one -one appointments with patients clients or educational talks on how to live well with and beyond mm -hmm. cancer so it's mm -hmm. nutrition it's mind body stuff etc um, so I do some Penny Bron work in the week I do some university work so teaching medical students about holistic consultations consultation skills holistic models of health that mm -hmm. kind of thing um i do gp for three sessions a week so that's all of thursday and a bit of another day i do some work at the haven which is the refugee and asylum seeker health center which is mm -hmm. bristol is kind of setting gold standard mm -hmm care in terms of asylum seeker and refugee health which is where you were today which is where i was today and what did you learn today uh today so i wasn't seeing patients today it was a, yeah, it was an education session and we had some really quite harrowing stories about modern day slavery which mm. is hugely on the increase in the uk and around the world it's just just overtaken um in terms of illegal revenue mm -hmm. uh in the underworld mm -hmm. um the the biggest earner is illegal arms sales and then the next biggest thing is human trafficking it oh. used to be drugs and wow. so it's drugs have slipped into number three so it's on the world's massive yeah. and in the uk you kind of think that that might be something that's going on elsewhere but mm. absolutely not it's happening on our doorstep mm. right under our noses um so that was quite shocking uh, and then we and then some really interesting stuff on intercultural communication because obviously a lot of the people that I'm consulting with are from very different backgrounds. Mm. Obviously, have had very difficult, challenging journeys to get here. Mm. Um, so that was really useful. And then just some updates on the current climate for asylum seekers and mm. refugees and stuff like that. So that was Friday. That was today. Yeah, so I do a bit of a mix. There's a bit of tea. Oh, there's the big thing I've not even mentioned, <laughs> which takes up a lot of my time, energy, because it's kind of labor of love, yeah. is this integrative medicine course, this yeah. diploma for healthcare professionals. And I also do some holistic doctor consultations for the same organization, this uh -huh. NCIM, which is the, the National Center for Integrative Medicine, which is, again, here in Bristol. Wow. So not much then. <laughs> so See, this I is my point is they're not doctors are not normal people they, they do so many different amazing well, things yeah. and i think um you know doing that many things it must be an absolute mission just to keep your own head straight yeah and i don't always get it right like to be honest i'm feeling a little bit 
burnt out this week. Yeah. So yesterday in general practice yeah, because was last time a we nightmare. tried to get together, you were ill, weren't you? I was ill, which is a very rare thing. Yeah. And I very rarely cry off. But actually, that was a good example of me Doing looking after care. myself. Great. Which is something I perhaps have yeah. not done. So on that notion of self-care, how do mm. you... What do you do in order to protect yourself from the throes of yeah. a very busy life? I mean, I make sure I have time for nature connections. So I'm, I'm a big believer in that's somewhere where I find peace, joy, mm-hmm. creativity, all of which you know I prize. So yeah, for me, it's foraging. Mm. I find myself amongst the hedgerows quite often. Mm. Um, I can I, you can you on that. Yeah. On that subject, can you just describe what you brought to me today? Oh, I've been, I've been experimenting. This if, th- if you've ever met Duncan Still, then you'll know that there is always something in his satchel, usually several different things in his satchel. I brought and usually two or three of them are impossible to identify. Yeah, although, Jamie, you did very well. You did identify the green juice that I presented you with. So the green juice is, I think I invented it as well. No one told me to do this. Um, yeah, I, I innovative. <laughs> <laughs> I picked some angelica, which is this gorgeous, very very common herb, um, which can be easily hedgerows. confused with yeah, I'm with a very poisonous I plant. It comes with hemlock. a yeah, it comes with a health so. warning. So I'm not advising you to go out there like be <laughs> advised in how you go and gather. But I feel very confident in, in my ability to identify mm. it and and hemlock. Uh, so this is definitely angelica. Uh, and I've just mm, mashed it all up and put it in some gin with mm. some sugar. And I've made angelica gin, which is an absolute yeah. knockout. So that's wow. waiting for you after we, when we finish this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And then in here, there is crystallized angelica, which is a, which is a kind of age-old... Which I can testify is absolutely delicious. It's a Victorian recipe. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'm just, I'm just experimenting. So that's <laughs> why I, so I do those in my spare time. Yeah. I... I fumble and forage around in, in the undergrowth and then I come back to the kitchen and create things with it mm-hmm. um, but I, I also try and stay active we know that you know being f- physically active is incredibly important the golden mm-hmm. 150 minutes mm-hmm. of moderate activity that's those what the guidelines say a week or a yeah a week so yeah. 50 so 30 minutes on five days a week or something like that uh, so it's I because I always thought it was meant to be 20 minutes 20 minutes of cardiovascular three times a week is that so the the, 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 that? the mass of evidence is around the 150 minutes a week and is and what's moderate ah that's a good question so a proxy measure of, of moderate activity would be you can have a conversation but yeah. you can't sing a song kind of uninterrupted so it, it interrupts your breathing pattern so you're mm-hmm. definitely breathing a bit faster you're mm-hmm. getting a bit warm maybe developing a you know mm-hmm. little bit of sweat your heart rate's up a bit but it's not pounding the pavements and sprinting and okay. or playing a game of squash that's vigorous activity uh-huh. so i but I, i'm a bit of a vigor monger so i when i cycle i go hell for leather and sweat sweat like a bar steward yeah. and so I do, I do, I yeah, cycle to work and that, I suppose I get my exercise that way. I play squash. So I think I'm probably getting enough of that. Yeah. And then I do the quiet hedgerow wandering. Yeah, I do time. a little bit of mindfulness when I can. Mm. So not every single day. Yeah. This, this thing about cycling to, if you're busy, making the trip in between your busyness, the exercise seems to be a really very efficient way of being able to get your 
150 minutes. It's a very 21st century way of doing it, you know, maximum efficiency. Yeah. Um, whether it leaves time for the, you know, when we go back to Rangan Chatterjee's four pillars, yeah. there, there's also there's the relax bit. Yeah. The non-doing. Yeah, the non-doing. So that's the bit We're I very think good I struggle at doing, with. Not so good at non-doing. Yes. And someone very wise, slightly cheesy, but very wise, did point out that we are called human beings beings oh, not that, human doings that so is, that is definitely cheesy but i do like very it. cheesy and the other really cheesy what, what was <laughs> it i love there's a little sign you can get probably on a mug or a fridge magnet that says rather than don't just sit there do something uh-huh. it's don't just do something sit there <laughs> that is good yeah i like that um so uh, i mean this all sounds very angelic um you know you've doing all these amazing things you're contributing in such a really tan- a real tangible way in terms of it, mm. you know helping to create integrative medicine um courses in here in bristol what are your guilty pleasures that sounds a little bit like the question that was sprung on theresa may <laughs> what's the naughtiest thing you've ever done Do like, you, well, have well, i ever I, run through cornfields i mean um, it's not that it's like it's more like there's a shadow to all of this isn't for it? for sure like when i worked i worked as a as a therapist before i came to bristol and in order to just cope with a day of seeing clients sometimes mm. we would you know as therapists we would kind of end up acting up and kind of laughing and joking about what we just experienced in order to just mm. like as a mm. sense of light, light relief from the work we'd go a bit mad ourselves mm. in a response to the work um in sometimes completely un pc ways mm. but within the context of okay so you just need to let off some steam because you're, you're in a, an intense environment with yeah. with very damaged human beings mm. over a sustained period of time and that's not possible to sustain that level of of loving kind um support giving yeah, yeah, yeah without there being some give you know so i guess i'm interested to know obviously you've got your health practice and foraging and looking after yourself in various ways mm. but is there a, a you know you, you don't go and hit uh, you, you don't go and hit the bottle on a friday night after work i'm not a massive drinker no. annoyingly no i'm not not or really. luckily I, I think you should say uh, no, but to, to fit, but to, to make an in. To, to, to know, to make an interesting it's bit on the podcast, like if I could tell you, I'm a massive drinker. A massive drinker. No, that no, would that be a great revelation. I'm much more interested that you. What you do might I not do? Drink. Do I have a dark, like guilty pleasures? I have a I have I have pleasure, and I like I'm I, I'm very good at getting massage, like paying for massage. Oh, good. I like. That's your guilty pleasure. That, is it guilty? I don't feel guilty. Spending money on. Yeah, I I allow myself that, and I think increasingly uh, that's something that I've realised I need for yeah. my body, my body well-being. mind, my well-being yeah. exactly. So that's definitely something. Do, is the but I think I'm trying to dig a bit deeper and go darker to the underneath? shadow. <laughs> um, I mean, I suppose within medicine, you definitely have conversations with your colleagues that you would not have with anyone else. Is that like normal for Norfolk on the, on the notes? Well, NFN. I, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I have heard that. Uh, not T- so much. Not so much. Typical Guardian reader. I've never heard that one. Do you ever see TGR on the corner of your medical notes when you're in hospital, you know that you've been, you've been labeled. You've been labeled. I don't, I've not seen, actually that doesn't go on in my experience very much. But we certainly, we 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 talk in shorthand and we can laugh at fairly dark stuff mm. so i suppose that might be a release um 
I also recognize that I, when I'm close to burnout, like mm. if I haven't slept enough or if it's been a particularly grueling day, I also realize that I do get compassion fatigue. Like I'm, I'm not the angel that mm. you would love to paint me as. I'm dark angel. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I definitely, you know, some days I, I do get frustrated. Mm. Uh, obviously, I try and remain professional, mm. but I, you know, I can be really annoyed at. Mm. A consultation that doesn't go well or mm. if I feel that someone's not engaging or annoyed at myself if I don't get through to the patient mm. so I definitely have darkness in my consultations but I also have on a daily basis no matter how horrible the day or busy or frenetic or challenging there will always be moments of incredible beauty and light mm. I, I and that is something I'm in very grateful for that is one of the riches of, of being a doctor mm. is that you are invited into people's lives at very vulnerable moments mm. and people reveal themselves and, and that's a that's a real privilege and that those are the things that stay with me at the end of the day much more than the the difficult stuff mm. by and large you touched on something really really important there which is gratitude Mm. And it's something which, you know, if you've ever read a self-help book or um, listened to a podcast about well-being, then gratitude is definitely up there as one of the greatest medicines mm. for, for, for realizing you're actually OK. Yeah. And there's a lot of amazing things in this world to be grateful for. And yeah. um, you're grateful for the beautiful, beautiful moments within what can be difficult days. I'm interested in what other... Um, when do you, when does gratitude show up most in your life? Hmm. I mean, those little moments on a daily basis, yeah. but th those moments can be interpersonal from the, the way someone smiles or says thank you or reveals something beautiful about themselves. But it can also be, I, I, I respond incredibly quickly to the natural world and that, and that can be the glint of sunshine on mm. a dew drop laden blade of grass or it could be um, new flowers coming mm. into bloom um, or the way a squirrel cheekily peeps out from behind a tree trunk <laughs> whatever you know any number of things so yeah. I if I put myself in the natural world yeah. it will take seconds to find wonder yeah. it, it, it's almost guaranteed yeah. um, so that I suppose is another thing that all, uh, I constantly am grateful for and what about um people teachers because i'm struck by some people in life just bring you something remarkable which allows you to mm. change direction or to find new confidence in yourself or to unpick something which has really been so densely knotted that you really didn't know what to do mm. um which who, who are the who are the teachers or the the inspirations that you might name wow um, I mean, I can definitely think of, there's, yeah, there's so many. Um, at med school, I had a mentor who was this incredibly compassionate and wise, gentle man called Sheikh Siegel. Uh, Good name. Oh, great name. Great guy. Uh, he taught me a lot, almost more by his presence than by his speech. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just something about his way of being. And then there are some clinicians here in, in Bristol who have been incredibly formative for me. So there's Trevor Thompson, who is a professor at the at the med school and a GP uh, who led this course called 
whole person care and he he was the first guy to in, to kind of bring me into teaching uh, within the university so I'm very grateful to him for doing that but also for kind of being a bit of a role model how mm. can he do things uh, his wife Elizabeth Thompson um, who's the CEO of the National Center for Integrative Medicine is a remarkable clinician just her gentleness and compassion and, and deep wisdom mm. and there's another, my other boss Catherine Zolman who's another GP but is also the lead doctor up at Penny Bron UK mm. you know those those three I think in terms of my colleagues though they have been the most significant influences but also they've put me in touch with a whole host of others mm. I also recognize that there's something much deeper which is where I came from as a person in this world mm. and I wanted to just recognize the influence of my parents I suppose and, that, and that's really important to me I have remarkable mum and dad both very very different uh, from each other and to me but I wanted just to pinpoint I think from my mum there is a, a compassionate stance in the world and that has really informed who I am and how I practice and that, that's central to I suppose why I became a doctor mm. and there's there's also my dad uh, who has this boundless enthusiasm and optimism <laughs> this ability to see the world as full of potential mm. and not being afraid of change and innovation and and daring and putting oneself out there mm. um and if i have you know one ounce of of that part of him in me mm. uh and, and i think i am beginning to recognize it i i you know i owe it to him so wow. yeah. mm. it's so important to recognize the teachers in our lives and the people who've given us um, the confidence and the panache to go and get what we need in the world or to go and do what we believe in. Um, it's so nice to hear that your parents have played such a significant role. And how about outside of the working environment or family? I know you may not like me to turn the... <laughs> <laughs> reflect the image back at you, but people like you, Jamie... People like you, people who have shown me different ways of being mm. and incredibly giving, generous. I think Bristol actually is full of people who are willing to do things differently. And I think that gives us all license to pursue, you know, quirky calls mm. uh, and to be different and to be innovative. Permission is a really yeah, vital yeah. word there. And there's, um, there's a great... Um, workshop facilitator author musician all-round great guy called jamie Cato, who does a lot of workshops around mm. the uk and you might have seen him at a festival mm. um and he he talks about wanting to kind of create a nation of walking per permission slips oh wow um this idea that you know what we need to do is give each other permission and ourselves permission to be our full self to not be inhibited by um the restricted version of ourselves that we've yeah. become through our need for approval he has yeah, this idea yeah. that you know you you uh, we're all approval addicts and that through that whenever we get told no or get told off when you're a developing human a child a young, a young adult every time you snip and edit one part of yourself in order to be a more approved of mm. and his work is really about undoing that and saying actually no we've all we're all a bit bonkers we're all uh, flawed we've all got dark sides 
we've all we all think things we shouldn't think and when you allow yourself to do that you give permission to to do that you suddenly feel more relaxed and whole because you're not holding in and you mm. by by association and implication you allow others to do the same exactly. and i think the more we let our guards down mm. ourselves we allow others to do the same and mm. then, then you get real opportunity for connection and, and real communication mm. so it's been great having this kelp conversation i'm really grateful you come by yeah, yeah. and same. um i'd like to sort of just round up by thinking a bit about um, what aspirations you have both for your own practice for yourself mm-hmm. and also for the broader context of integrative medicine and how that might lead to a wider change i mean it feels like now is the time like we are in crisis in so many spheres mm. um but certainly within the nhs yeah, it feels like we're under the cosh um but i feel like integrative medicine could actually be an answer to a lot of the pressures that are coming to bear mm. so things like social prescribing you know this this idea that you can um supply an intervention that is non-pharmaceutical but much more community based or activity based or you know it could be uh, a walking group or a knit and natter group or a book club or a choir or a, mm. you know any number of things that you might recommend rather than taking a pill for every ill mm. Um, that could be a really powerful alternative for a system in crisis. So these things, if they are run well, actually are resource and cost saving. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly some of the holistic therapies, uh, which often go along, kind of go hand in hand with patients getting much more engaged with their own health and well-being, much more motivated and participatory uh, in, in creating and, and maintaining their own health. Mm-hmm. That's, that has been proven time and time again to be cost-saving. Mm. Uh, and you only need to look at the states, which obviously is a private, privatized medical system, that now the health insurance companies are giving people lower premiums if they are engaged in a kind of integrative medicine relationship, if they have an int- integrative doctor, if they're engaged in integrative medicine practices. So that... That is proof I mean, that, that surely yeah. Is, yeah. is proof if nothing else um so i think integrative medicine definitely has a lot to offer um and that is not to say we should be throwing out conventional medicine that's not it at all it's not an alternative it's a it's a as a complementarity mm. um so it's about wise intelligent combinations um and that's i suppose the, a similar aspiration for myself to to be able to bring more of that into my work partly to it actually less it can lessen the burden on the doctor so I'm, mm. I'm doing it not purely in an altruistic way although it happens to be very beneficial for my patients as well mm. um, but it's also so that I can relax and and do my job more easily mm. with more ease um, and also my life is not my work it shouldn't all be all about work I want to be bringing these things into my own life outside of work as well and to be living well, not just working well. So I suppose that's an aspiration. And that's something, if I'm honest, you know, that I do struggle with. I, I plow a lot of time into work. Uh, do I allow enough time for other and relationships? And, you know, that, that's, that's a question for me. So I aspire to more but also aspire to maybe less of some things maybe some more playtime yeah i like the sound of that 
And actually, Jamie, you have been instrumental in bringing more playtime into my life. So maybe more of you. That's another thing. <laughs> that, and that is not an empty. Uh, those well, are not uh, empty words. That is God's honest it truth. It can be arranged. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm always sign, up. Sign oh, me up. <laughs> always up for a bit of playtime. Um, cool. This has been awesome. Thank you so much again. Um, I I thought I'd give you two things mm. before we we finish. One is if you wanted to mm. to choose um, a, a poem from either oh. of those books, because um, I know how how much poetry plays a role in your yeah. life. Um, and that was the first thing. And the second thing, which you can be having a think about while you're yeah. also choosing a poem, is um, who would you nominate mm -hmm. as someone to pass on the baton to? Someone else that you'd like me to talk to oh, wow. in this context? That is a great um, question. To, to celebrate them also as a new navigator, as someone who's trying to make... Um, to cut a new path and make a difference in their own field. I mean, any three of those three clinicians that I talked about would be absolutely freaking fascinating to talk to. Brilliant. So they are Trevor Thompson in terms of education. He has been innovating medical education for years and doing remarkable things. Mm -hmm. His wife, Liz Thompson, again, at the top of her game, uh, she's the CEO of the NCIM, the National Centre for Integrative Medicine, so that's a massive innovation. Yeah. And Catherine Zolman, uh, who's the um, lead doctor up at Penny Bron, all three of them are innovators can in you their put own me way. In touch? I can totally put you in touch, and they, they would love to talk to you. Can I choose a poem that's not in, in either of those in books? Of, those of course books. you can. This is the first poem that I ever prescribed. <laughs> um, and it, is, it was my grandmother's favourite poem. It's very well known, so that, that I'm not going to kind of blow your mind and, and surprise you, but um, it always bears repetition. Um, so I'm not going to read. Well, shall I read the, the shall I read the first lines, and I'd then like, you can go and look it up on. You I'd know, like people. you to read the poem if you've got it in front of you. I do have it, but it's it might be too long. How long it's, is it? It's like twenty lines. Oh no, do that. Okay, this It'd is be a lovely. beautiful be poem. Honour to have you read that. I love okay. that. I love that poem. It is called Desiderata by Max Ehrman, and it's kind of advice for life that I have kept very kind of close to my heart. Um, and it and it was the first poem that I ever prescribed, and it was for a young woman who really was struggling with a whole host of things but she couldn't really put a name to them and, and the way that she presented was she just kept on coming back to us with kind of minor ailments that didn't have a clear cause and after i'd seen her a few times um and kind of ruled out that there wasn't a serious underlying cause for any of these things it just occurred to me that actually maybe i should ask more about how was she you know let's take the medical stuff off the table how are you actually and and the story began to come out that she was putting a lot of pressure on herself her parents were putting a lot of pressure on her to achieve and perform and and she didn't really know what to do and what direction to turn and so it was with that in mind that i said i don't think there's a medical intervention here mm. here's a poem that i absolutely love and has really helped me and i, I and maybe it will have some wisdom in it in for you and um she didn't come back which means one of two things uh, either she, she thought i was nuts and would never come and see that doctor again mm. 
or and i think this is actually the more accurate mm. um she took a lot of the wisdom in the poem to heart and actually i because i did actually look in in the notes several months later and she ha she hadn't been back to see us and i i i hope i hope that it served her well anyway it's called desiderata take it away go placidly amid the noise and haste and remember what peace there may be in silence as far as possible without surrender be on good terms with all persons speak your truth quietly and clearly and listen to others even the dull and the ignorant they too have their story avoid loud and aggressive persons they are vexations to the spirit if you compare yourself with others you may become vain and bitter for always there will be greater and lesser persons enjoy your achievements as well as your plans keep interested in your own career however humble it is a real possession in the changing fortunes of time exercise caution in your business affairs for the world is full of trickery but let this not blind you to what virtue there is many persons strive for high ideals and everywhere life is full of heroism be yourself especially do not feign affection neither be cynical about love for in the face of all aridity and disenchantment it is as perennial as the grass take kindly the counsel of the years gracefully surrendering the things of youth nurture strength of spirit to shield you in sudden misfortune but do not distress yourself with dark imaginings many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness beyond a wholesome discipline be gentle with yourself you are a child of the universe no less than the trees and the stars and you have a right to be here and whether or not it is clear to you no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should therefore be at peace with god whatever you conceive him to be and whatever your labors and aspirations in the noisy confusion of life keep peace with your soul with all its sham drudgery broken dreams it is still a beautiful world be cheerful strive to be happy thank you thank you you've been listening to the new navigators with me jamie pike if you'd like more information about the national center for integrative medicine please go to www.ncim.org.uk if you like what you've been listening to and you think that integrative medicine should be part of the mainstream, then please do share this far and wide through your social media channels. Also, if you want to make sure that you don't miss out on any future episodes of The New Navigators, please make sure you hit the subscribe button on the link below. Finally, a massive thank you to Jack Pescod for this beautiful music, a track called King, taken from his album Egregore. You can get in touch with Jack at www.jackpascod.com.
until the next time, take care.